There we go. I want to invite Vern to come up and uh, read our passage. You've got it printed in the bulletin there, and I want him to bring his authoritative voice <laughs> to the reading of the word, and then ask him to pray before we get into our message. Okay. So Galatians 5, 26, verse 5. Those who Jesus have named the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and obey the law of Christ. you think you are too important to help someone, You are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this passage of scripture that we're going to hear about this morning. Help us to follow the instructions that Paul gives. Help us learn what it means to live by the Spirit and to follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. So as I've been getting ready for this uh, opportunity to speak from this passage, I was really caught by the very first verse that we read this morning, that Byrne read to us. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. I think often when we think about coming to Christ and being forgiven for our sins, we think of the sins we've committed that have had consequences that are a burden to us. And we're so thankful that at the cross, Jesus enabled us to be free of our sins, to be forgiven and to be cleansed. But Paul says here that we can go beyond confessing sins we've already committed. We can actually confess the passions and desires of our sinful nature. That it's possible to bring to the cross the very motivations that cause us to sin. Some years ago, um, when I was a young mom, I was part of a young mom's Bible study at our church on Friday mornings. Very patient and kind older woman led that study. She told me once that she was literally walking across the parking lot at our church one Sunday morning when she felt like the Lord said, you need to start something for young moms at this church. And so she did. And uh, I joined that group. 
And uh, it was one of those situations where we would come and just pour out our hearts to each other. We would just talk about how hard life was. We talked about marriage. We talked about mothering. We talked about friendships. We talked about our relationship with the Lord. And uh, we poured it all out there. I always used to say driving home, my group at, on Friday morning deals with me so my husband doesn't have to. <laughs> I would get free of some of the things that were on my heart so we would have a nice weekend. So, <laughs> yeah, so one of the things that would often happen we would talk about is that um, each of us on our way to our group on Sunday morning, uh, Friday morning, would swear, I'm not going to dominate the time this time. I'm not going to talk about all this stuff. I can handle my life. I don't need to talk about this. And then we would all get there and just start talking because we really needed a place to vent. One of the problems that I kept bringing up week by week was a, uh, a resentment I had toward my sister. Um, my sister lived very close to my mother and geographically, just down the street. And uh, I had moved back from Colorado to California to be near my mom and dad, but now I live three hours away. And uh, over time, I began to realize my sister is doing the things with my mother I wanted to do. And occasionally, I would get a phone call from my mother where she'd talk about the latest shopping trip, the latest outing, the latest little family event that I had not known was going to happen because I just wasn't present. And it made me jealous. And one day when I was reviewing with my group how unfair it was that my sister had all my mother's attention and was getting all the benefit, um, I had just, uh, too many weeks had gone by and I had been talking about this and this particular morning our Bible study leader looked at me and said, Cheryl, do you think that you are just jealous? It just absolutely stopped me in my tracks because I thought two things immediately. I am jealous. Jealousy is a sin that's named in the Bible. And then I thought, I am helpless to overcome this sin. It has such control over me that every thought I have is tainted by it. My whole day was being dominated by it. I was ruminating on it. And I needed to get, friend, get free. So all I could do in that moment was say to my friends, I am jealous. Jealousy is a sin. I need your prayers. So in the coming weeks, I began to try to deal with this jealousy. <clears throat> I wanted it out of my life. I didn't want it to be part of my relationship with my sister. <clears throat> and the more I paid attention to it, the more I realized it was part of many relationships in my life. I would go to church and see people I was jealous of. I would go to the store and see women I was jealous of. It was just, it was, there was, it, you know, when we say, I am a jealous person, we're actually saying, I don't practice jealousy. I am a jealous person. I was really in despair over it until I prayed about it. And one day the Lord reminded me of 1 John verse, uh, chapter uh, 1 and verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive, ourse we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And I thought, well, I'm not deceiving myself. I know I'm jealous. I'm naming that sin. And by, telling, by naming the sin, it became a confession, and then it became um, a way of, of exposing it, bringing it to the truth. There was great relief in saying, I am a sinner. I am a jealous person. I'm helpless in the face of this. But then it goes on to verse 9. 
And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, which I was doing, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When I named and confessed my sin, this passion and desire of my sinful nature, it triggered a two-part response from God that came from him that I didn't have to ask for. I didn't have to suggest it to him. It was just a promise that he made. Instantly, as soon as I named my sin and confessed that I was a sinner, he forgave me. There was no space, no time lapse between my saying, I am a helpless sinner, and him saying, I forgive you. And then it went on to the best part of all, which is the promise to cleanse me and to purify me from this sin. So whenever I felt jealousy raise its ugly head after that, I would go through the process again. I would say, there it is again, God. Literally, there were times when I would just stop where I was and just say, Lord, there's another thought. There's another jealous thought. I just want to bring that before you. I'm confessing it now. Thank you for forgiving me. Please cleanse me so that this will no longer be part of my nature. And you know, over time, he did that. I came to the place where I could think of my sister, and if she were here now, she would tell you that this is the truth. I regard her as my angel. She is such a good person. She is so kind, so consistent, so faithful. Um, She has so many qualities that I admire that I couldn't see when I was blinded by jealousy. But God cleansed me of that. The second part of that is I know that I have a propensity to be jealous. That is one of my weaknesses. And so I watch for it, and I bring it to the Lord in prayer. So you could take... Any one of anything that you have in your life that is habitually causing you to stumble or making you ruminate or undermining your life and relationships and do the same thing that I did with jealousy, and you could become free of that. This is what Paul says when he says, I nailed my passions and the desires of my sinful nature to the cross. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, I am completely free of those passions and desires when they crop up, which they will over and over for the rest of my life. I don't expect to become a sinless person, but there is great joy and great relief in knowing that you can take even the most intractable propensity towards sin or anxiety or sadness in your life and uh, take it to the cross. And Jesus will take your passions and your desires as well as your sins and clean you up. So confession is the death knell of sin. You take it to the cross and it gets nailed there through your confession and it's taken away. So when I entered into the new life that was jealousy-free, I began to walk by this, with the Spirit in a new way. And in verse uh, 525 of what we read this morning, Galatians 525, it says, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Another version says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That became my new experience, was responding to the Holy Spirit and keeping step with Him instead of the old me, the old things that drove me. I was able to refocus and look to the Spirit, and I learned to agree with him. And part of what he, I agreed with was that he didn't want me to remain in my old state. So I learned to confess things that went beyond sin. I, I began to confess to the Lord when I was anxious. 
when I was having a restless night, worrying about things that, over which I had no control, I, could, I learned I could take that to the Holy Spirit and confess that to him. And he would bring me comfort through the word and through his presence. So the process is, if you want to nail something to the cross, is respond to the Holy Spirit when he points it out to you. Name it and agree with him that it shouldn't be part of your life. <coughs> then, accept, as you confess, accept God's forgiveness and cleansing. <coughs> be vigilant to confess that sin whenever it appears again. And then watch to see how God is at work in your life and give him thanks. After a while, when things are better, sometimes we forget how we got that way. I consistently will go back and remember how I used to be and thank God that by his grace, I am not there anymore. I'm not all I should be, but I'm better than I was. And that, to me, is spiritual growth. So once you've acknowledged the bad news about sin in your own life, and learned how to nail it to the cross, and be transformed, and be cleansed, and be changed, the next step is that you get to help other people. You get to take that same gospel of, I am a sinner, but I am forgiven, and I can be transformed. You get to take that to other people. But Paul has some sober warnings about us doing that. First of all, he expects us to do that. Um, he says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. That's the marching order. Be close to people, love them, see where they need help, and be gently and humbly willing to come and, and give them the assistance that God has given you. But here are the warnings that Paul gives when we set out on this mission. In verse 26 of chapter 5, he says, Don't become conceited or provoke one another. In chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Be gentle and humbly, humble in helping that person back onto the right path. In verse, uh, the second part of verse 1 of chapter 6 says, Be careful not to fall into the same temptations yourself. And 6, 2 says, Share each other's burdens. It's going to be costly to be involved in people's lives. And verse 3 says, if you think you are too important to help someone, you're not, you are fooling yourself. You are not that important. So Paul is trying to get us into the mindset, the proper mindset for really being in community with each other, really loving each other, really coming alongside each other. So let's kind of uh, uh, take it piece by piece. The first thing is, why would we do this? Why would I care about other people in my community? Why would I care about people in my life that are not part of my community? Maybe annoying people, maybe people unlike myself. Why would I care? Well, Jesus taught us that the law of love and connection is mandatory. He said in John 13, 34, a new command I give you. When God gives a command, you better sit up and take notice because he's, he's creating an expectation for his people. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I meditated on that this week and I thought about the table, I, thought, I started thinking about how Jesus loved us as an example for how we love each other. And I kind of, in my time of meditation and prayer, imagined coming here this morning. And we walk down the street, we walk inside, Jesus is already here. 
He's delighted that the table is meeting this morning. And as each of you comes in and you're embraced and shaking hands and connecting with each other, Jesus is right there just so glad that we are connecting because he loves us so much. And uh, as we do community sharing, he turns his attention to each person who speaks. And I think of his warm eyes on gazing upon each of us. And I look at the seats, and I feel like he's moving in the room with us, standing behind one chair and another, touching one shoulder and another, because he loves us. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So when you see love in this community, you are seeing Jesus, because we are his people and we are following his commands. 1 John 2, 10 and 11, this book was written by one of Jesus' best friends on earth, a man who walked with Jesus, loved Jesus, identified as the one that Jesus loved, kind of singled himself out, had a really loving relationship with Jesus, and then uh, was part of founding the church, and uh, was part of watching the church grow, teaching it how to behave. And after many, many, many years, probably in his 90s, toward the end of his life, he wrote this wonderful letter that we refer to as First John, And uh, he'd been thinking for a long time about what it means to be loving people in the light of what Jesus told us to do. And uh, so out of his thoughts and meditations and experience, both of Jesus and the church, Paul, or excuse me, John says, whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. This is the observation of a man who had watched people both love and fail to love. And he saw that those who did not love walked around in darkness. But how does failing to love put you into darkness? Well, when you're trying to avoid loving people, your life becomes like a dark minefield. You just don't want to know what's going on in people's lives. You are trying to avoid connecting. You're trying to avoid being burdened by their burdens. And so life is like a minefield, and you just never know when you're going to bump into somebody and hear something you didn't want to hear. You kind of tend to bounce off of people instead of engage with them. And you want to hide. Life is kind of dark when you're failing to love, when you're not taking the mandatory command to love, life is difficult. There are so many ways that you have to avoid loving people. But how does loving people lead you into the light? Well, love sheds light on people so you really see them. When you have a heart of love and you come to the table and you meet somebody new, you see them. You really see them. You're drawn to them. You want to hear them. You want to ask them questions. And uh, almost every time we come, we meet somebody new. And Bern and I both feel very drawn to the table. That's what happens when you're living in the light of love. And when, and when you're in the light of love, you're able to navigate that minefield of other people's needs because you're ready to do whatever the Lord asks you to do, to love them. So there is light in your life. Also, when you're in relationship and you're practicing love, light is shed on your own heart and you begin to know yourself better. It may reveal that you're a selfish person. It may reveal that you're a proud person 
Or it may reveal that you have a spiritual gift that makes you find joy in service. So the light of love allows you to understand yourself better. So there are things that are incompatible with loving others, though, and Paul warns us about that. Um, If we have a conceited heart, he says, uh, let us not become conceited or provoke one another. If we have a conceited heart where we walk in and feel like, you know, I'm probably better than everybody here, although nobody would probably say that here. (laughs) But many times we do walk in, size people up wherever we are, and say, well, I'm not as good as that person. I'm better than that person. And that's a very conceited attitude. It's incompatible with love. Or we may have a dismissive attitude that comes from pride, where we just say, I don't really need, I don't really need to engage with that person. That's not my kind of person. That's a, a person that I don't need to bother with. And Paul tells us to be careful about that. Also, he tells us that it, there are boundaries to helping other people. He expects us to be loving, but we have to many times do that with boundaries. So in 6.1, he says, Galatians 6.1, he says, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. It may be that when you are loving someone or getting close to them, you will find that that person is dragging you down. I have often heard that if you are an addicted person and you want to help an addicted person, you have to be careful that you don't get into the same pit that they are in. Codependent people which is, that's my, (laughs) one of my weaknesses is codependency. I have a Messiah complex. I will help you. I will save you. Sometimes I have to set a boundary with somebody who says, oh, yes, please, save me, save me. (laughs) And so I have to set a, a boundary because that's a temptation for me. So if you are helping someone and you fall, find yourself falling into the same temptation that they are prone to, A lot of times it helps to have some friends point that out to you, faithful friends. But Paul says, don't try to help that person. You are not the person to help that person. That person needs someone else. Also, if helping makes us become conceited, it makes us bossy, makes us be the person who has the plan and uh, becomes irritated that the person we're helping doesn't respond, we need to set a boundary there and go away and and work on that because uh, we're not going to help those people. You know, part of when when Paul says, um, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're fooling yourself. No one is that, or you are not that important. So the flip side of that is believing that I'm too important for you to refuse what I'm offering you to do. I gave you a plan. I suggested to you what you should do that would solve your problem, and, uh, and now you're not doing that. Um, God humbles me constantly in relationships with people like that. Um, I have a dear friend that I've been meeting with for most of this year. She's a new Christian, and I know how a new Christian grows. I invited her to come and meet with me on Friday mornings, and I laid out the plan for her. And she almost never followed the plan. And so I was like, how is she going to grow? And then over time, I began to see God had his own plan, and that basically he was using Friday mornings with me as a sounding board for her to learn his plan for her that was different than mine. Uh, She's a wonderful person, and she has just grown by leaps and bounds, not according to my plan, but according to the one that the Lord had for her. 
So Paul finishes our our passage today by saying, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Do you ever compare yourself to anyone else? I mean, we have some high achievers in this room. (laughs) We have some artists and performers and uh, people who are really professional in their business, who have attained status. And uh, I think one of the ways we get there is by being competitive. But it's different to be a a person who compares yourself with others. This last week, um, I was reminded of a couple that Byrne and I knew when when we first met. We were falling in love, getting married. <clears throat> Kurt and Marsha also met at the same time at this, in the same place. And we were just this a community of young believers who were very excited about changing the world. And uh, so Bern and I married and settled down and had four kids. Kurt and Marsha married and immediately went to Beirut, Lebanon, where there was a civil war going on. <laughs> and they have never come back. They've been in the Middle East ever since. They had two little girls, and for a while, Marcia had to live on the island of Cyprus because it was too dangerous to be in, in Beirut. Kurt was going into Beirut to this war zone and helping with relief work. Eventually, they saw a huge need. They moved to Amman, Jordan. They founded a, a relief agency <clears throat> that's gospel-based, And they have spent the last 30 years meeting the mental and physical health needs of refugees and caring for children who have been displaced and would, in in no other way would they get their education. And so I don't know how many people they've helped, but uh, it's a wonderful, marvelous work, and they've been so faithful. And I read that letter, and I thought, what have I done with my life? We're the same age. We've lived the same years. And uh, fortunately, I was studying for this message. And so the Lord reminded me, uh, pay careful attention to your own work. And I thought, I had a conversation with Byrne later. And I said, at any point, did we ever say, no, God, I don't want to do what you want me to do? And we agreed that that's never happened. So we've lived a much more conventional life than they have. But we have lived the life that the Lord chose for us. And now we get the satisfaction of a job well done. And if we don't compare ourselves to the job, well done job of other people, we can be very happy with what we have. The question is not which assignment God has given each of us in life. It's how well we're paying attention to giving that assignment our full, our full attention and our best effort. You know, are we going to question God's assignment to us? How, who are we to do that? So uh, there may be another assignment ahead of us later. There may be something more exciting or more treacherous or risk-taking. Or, but for now, the assignment we have is the one we're in. And I thought to myself this morning, if I died today, if I knew I was going to die, would I die wishing I was doing something else? Or would I be satisfied that what I'm doing is what God wants me to do here and now? And it was, uh, it was a good question to ask. And I felt to my, I believed to myself that um, God has given me the best that he has for me. And that by doing it well, I've satisfied him and I am satisfied. So we've learned how, from this passage, we learn how to be responsible for our own conduct, which is what uh, Paul finishes by saying in this passage. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. When we learn that there's something that we need to change, as I did with jealousy, um, 
We have to be responsible for our own conduct. I thought for a long time, my mother and my sister need to change their conduct. They need to do something you know, that would make me happy. And then I realized that was not possible in the situation we were all living in. So I needed to change my conduct, and I did. With the help of the Lord, I got free of jealousy and resentment. So every kind of, pro- of conduct that we are engaged in, whether it's the work that we do, the relationships that we have, our time with the Lord, um, all of that is, uh, is re- our responsibility before the, the presence of the Lord. We need to be before his face every day, thanking him for what he's given us to do, and then asking him how to conduct ourselves so that we will show well for him. Sometimes we want to help other people with their conduct, but Paul, I mean, Peter has a kind of a final word on that. Peter was a contemporary of Paul, and he also, toward the end of his life, wrote a couple of letters that tell us how to live this life. And uh, Peter has some good advice. In 1 Peter 4.8, he says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. When we are in community with each other, sometimes we will notice other people's needs. We will notice that uh, they have some work to do in their life. Peter says, when you see that, throw a big comforter of love over that person. Just love them. And then pray that the Holy Spirit gets under that comforter and works with them and helps them to become the person that he wants them to be rather than the person that we want to be. The good news of the gospel is that we can forgive because we've been forgiven. We can love because we are loved. It wasn't, you know, it's not easy to be vulnerable and share one of the worst sides of my story. But in the end, it becomes just a a cause for praise because look how far I've come. I am so thankful to the Lord for that. Let's just have a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for being the first one here this morning by the power of your spirit. Uh, Thank you for being in the car with people who drove here, being on BART with Bern and I as we came in, being with those who walked down the street, um, delighting in us, loving us, being so glad that the table exists, having such wonderful plans for it. and and having such a vision for what lies ahead. Lord, we have taken your word to heart this morning, and we confess that we are helpless to live it out except by the power of your Spirit. So today and in the days to come, Lord, help us to live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, responding to you in your loving kindness and becoming better than we were day by day and more like you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.